This mortal coil. Well, are you one of those people who worries about the fabric of our society falling apart? Do you suspect our sense of community is disappearing? Or I wonder if this year in particular you might have looked around and felt uplifted by the way COVID-19 has actually brought us closer together in some ways. We've talked about some of those ways on nightlife this year. The libraries calling all of their members, for example, to check on them. The neighbourhood sing-alongs earlier on when the whole country was experiencing lockdown. Well, our guest tonight is the federal politician, Dr Andrew Lee, who holds the federal seat of Fenner for the ALP. Now, in 2010, Andrew published Disconnect It was a book which explored the ways that Australian civic society seemed to be losing some of that glue that kept it together. He documented the falling membership in clubs and societies and the skydiving faith in our political system. Well, this year, striking a more optimistic note, he and one of his advisors, Nick Terrell, have just published Reconnected, a book which offers itself up as a community builder's handbook of sorts and aims to offer a pathway for rebuilding community. Andrew Lee joins us now. Hello, Andrew. G'day, Andrew. Great to be with you. Yeah, it's great to have you on the show. Now, tell us a little bit about your community, Andrew, first, because I guess as a federal member, you're pretty connected to your community, aren't you? It is one of the things I really love about being a federal member of parliament, that you're so much a part of your local community. Uh, whether that's having a chat about politics to people when you do the shopping or when you're down at the pool, uh, whether it's being invited along to see various community groups. And in fact, if all you saw of community was what you see as a federal MP, you'd never worry about it at all, Indira. Uh, you just get to meet so many extraordinary social entrepreneurs. And then on top of that, for the past uh, seven years, I've had for the Labor Party the charities and not-for-profits portfolio, which means I'm getting to meet amazing social entrepreneurs right right across the country. Uh, so this is really a book about uh, how we can take some of the great things that are being done and, and replicate them to scale. So, Andrew, did community always matter to you or was it because of this job that you got more exposed to it? No, it's always mattered. Um, my wife and I organise a street gathering for uh, for our neighbours uh, every every Christmas, uh, just to get everyone together. Uh, where uh, kids are, are actively involved in a whole lot of different team sports. Uh, I grew up in Waterfall, in the south of Sydney, where my dad was very involved in the volunteer bushfire brigade. Uh, and I've always seen a, a believed in that notion that a life lived with others is a, is a better life, not just more fun, but but more fulfilling, uh, more deeply satisfying. So if we do accept that our communities are somewhat broken, whose job, Andrew, do you think it is to rebuild them? I think it's all about a challenge, Indira. And I think it's not just about recreating what we had in the past when we were were more connected, but about trying to find a, a new way of building civic fabric in a world with much more technology in which there's a lot more work being done uh, in which uh, our commuting times are invariably going to be higher. Uh, I don't think we're necessarily going to uh, to uh, find all the solutions in the past, but it's important also to recognise how things have changed. You know, the share of churchgoers falling by two thirds, uh, union membership falling uh, falling by two thirds just since the 1980s, scouts 
guides, rotary lines, all uh, declining in, in membership. And sort of unexpected things like the fact that the uh, number of volunteer firefighters uh, dropped by about a fifth since the early, uh, since the year two, uh, 2010. And that meant there were just less people available when the bushfires hit. Right. So when you hear about people complaining about, oh, it's not like it used to be, you know, when I was growing up and, you know, you'd hang out with your neighbours, that is because we're all disconnecting, we're all withdrawing from it. It's a bit maybe like when you hear people complaining about traffic, well, you are the traffic you can complain about. Exactly. And most of us think that it would be good if our community organisations were stronger, uh, but we're just not joining in the same way as we used to. So there are fewer community organisations per person than there were in the 1970s. Uh, Nick Terrell and I fielded a number of surveys which asked people how many friends they had and how many neighbours they knew. And we found that the number of close friendships Australians had had halved since the mid-1980s. And the number of neighbours we knew likewise had halved over that period. Uh, we even looked at the uh, people's willingness to answer government surveys, which is a, uh, an interesting metric of your commitment to the uh, community, because if no one answers government surveys, we don't know what the unemployment rate is. We don't know what's, uh, what's going on in society. And there's been a, a worrying drop off in people, the share of people answering government surveys. So pretty much wherever you look, you see this uh, declining strength of, uh, of civic life. And some, some worrying trends, particularly among young people. So mm. the share of, uh, of school students who report feeling very stressed uh, has risen from a third in 2005 to a half now. Uh, we've even seen an increase in the suicide rate and an increase in the youth suicide rate. Uh, so these are, these are metrics that uh, there's, there's a, uh, a real problem in terms of mental health and loneliness that's accompanied this social disconnection. Mm. And interestingly enough, um, Andrew, it's in times of crisis that communities often do some of that important, uh, you know, build, work of building connections. Our current crisis uh, and history show us that, don't they? Absolutely. Uh, so it's it's really striking uh, during, if you look at the surveys this year, people report uh, being worried and stressed as a result of COVID, but also experiencing a greater sense of social solidarity. And I think part of that is the spontaneous outpouring of support for friends and neighbours, uh, the mutual aid groups that sprang up across the country, uh, Craig Foster's Play for Lives movement, which uh, asked sports people when their competitions were cancelled uh, to step in and help out with volunteering for the organisations who'd been losing older volunteers. Uh, there's one, some wonderful initiatives. I, mean, I, I really uh, uh, love Astrid Jorgensen's uh, Couch Choir, which uh, crowdsourced people to uh, sing, sing songs together in, in this sort of magical uh, way uh, and, uh, and recognising that, uh, that you can't do the normal uh, choral events, but, uh, but you can create something special. Uh, so there's great social entrepreneurs who stepped into the breach this year, but uh, I don't think we can rely on crisis to build community. Mm. You're listening to ABC Radio and this is Nightlife with Indira and I do. And for our This Mortal Coil, I'm talking to federal politician Dr Andrew Lee about his new book, Disconnected. And I'd love to hear from you if you're finding that during COVID you're actually reconnecting with your community. one three hundred eight hundred triple two one three hundred eight hundred triple two. Some of those things that Andrew's just mentioned about um, the couch choir, are, are you finding that uh, you're, you're uh, joining new organisations and feeling more connected? 
connected to your neighbours and, and uh, checking up on your friends and relatives during this time. I'd love to hear from you on Nightlife, one 300 Andrew, in terms of, um, you know, seizing this moment that we're in, though, does it suggest that many of us um, are looking for a chance to connect and contribute? Absolutely. I think that's a a natural human inclination. I mean, why else would uh, solitary confinement be such a punishment when it's being being used in uh, in a prison context? Uh, We we need to think about how to uh, get take take some of these moments now and and build them into something more lasting. Uh, So Catherine Barrett created a uh, Facebook page called the Kindness Pandemic, which many of your uh, listeners will be familiar with. Uh, It had uh, about half a million likes at, at its peak. And that was about celebrating uh, the wonderful ways in which people were taking care of one another. Uh, The uh, neighbours who were stocking street libraries with free rolls of toilet paper, uh, the uh, people who were uh, stepping in and and paying the grocery bill of someone in front of them who'd suddenly realised they'd uh, they'd forgotten their their credit card. Um, The florist that delivered the anniversary bouquet for free after a person was laid off. Uh, but then taking those spontaneous acts as a way of trying to build uh, last, lasting communities. It's what Nick Terrell and I call cyber-connecting. Mm. And, Andrew, are you finding that these organisations and, and these uh, groups that are getting together have always been around doing these sorts of things, or are they responding uh, to the, the lack of connection that they were feeling? Uh, there's, there's a lot of new organisations which are uh, which are emerging, or or people uh, revamping existing uh, organisations. Uh, so you know we uh, we talk in our book about the uh, way in which some organisations have uh, looked to build uh, digital volunteering. So the Australian Museum has a huge amount of cataloguing to be done, and it's put a lot of that online, and has looked oh. to build uh, an online presence among its, its digital volunteers. The National Library's Trove program does the same with uh, people making corrections to old newspapers. Uh, they're not just contributing, these citizen scientists and citizen researchers, uh, they're also building a stra- uh, an online community. Uh, and uh, the Australian Museum then brings them in to, uh, to, meet, to meet some of the scientists. Uh, we've really admired some of the work that uh, organisations do when they're putting two good things together. Hunter and Intrepid Landcare, for example, has uh, uh, kayaking tours that clean up the local waterways so you can get fit but contribute to the environment at the same time. Uh, and in a similar spirit, Greening Australia has singles tree planting events uh, so you can and uh, plant, tree, plant a tree and maybe if you're lucky, make the love of your life. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about this because one of the areas you've noted that has seen a decline of participation is, is volunteering. And we know that it tends to be older people that are uh, volunteers and it can be difficult attracting the, you know, the new generation of younger volunteers. And with some of these organisations, as you just met, they're trying to use clever ways of attracting young people uh, into these volunteer groups, but also uh, as a way that they might might be able to, you know, meet a, a, a love interest as well. So how prevalent are these styles of, of, of connections, Andrew? Yeah, and there's some really clever ways of, of uh, encouraging people to be able to volunteer short term. Uh, so Volunteering Queensland set up something called Emergency Volunteer Community Response to Extreme Weather System, which uh, was, uh, they abbreviated to EV Crew. Uh, and that was uh, really important during the Queensland floods. 
the idea there is uh, volunteers are matched to tasks that are in their local area uh, where they can build uh, connections with people who are nearby. Uh, and that way, if you're an organisation that needs volunteers quickly in a crisis, uh, if you need 10 volunteers for five different jobs, you don't end up with 50 people suddenly all landing in the same spot at the same time. Mm. Uh, they're using the technology, but they're also trying to trying to build a sense of community. Uh, and, you know, they do it in lovely ways. So they have this terrific story about a, uh, a, a family who's sitting on the couch watching TV when they get a call from EV crew uh, saying just down the road there's a set of sandbags that need, uh, need fixing. So the kids just go and put on their shoes. The whole family goes down. They fix the fix the sandbags, and so the the house nearby doesn't get flooded. And then they head back and uh, and plonk themselves back down in front of TV. Uh, so it, it's making volunteering easy, uh, and therefore getting the most out of people. Mm. And and Andrew, with the number of these organisations that are around and and accessible, you know, using through the the digital systems, why still do you find people aren't connecting, aren't using them, and signing up? I think people uh, face strong time pressures. Uh, you know, one of the part of this is uh, is long work hours. Part of it is also uh, recognising that we had strong volunteering uh, in the 1950s, 1960s, in part because women faced such strong labour market discrimination that many women uh, didn't work. And so that was a sort of uh, cheap way, in some sense, of getting a higher level of social social capital. Uh, in we would be a, a much worse country if we were to reduce the labour force participation rate of women. And so what we need to do is to is to take the much more enlightened, productive Australia we have right now, uh, but allow people to build volunteering into their own lives. I think also there's uh, opportunities through corporate volunteering, and there are um, increasingly organisations are recognising that uh, if you're a, a team of accountants, then probably the the best volunteering isn't to go and paint a fence. It's actually to offer accounting services to uh-huh. uh, not-for-profits. Uh, and, and that can be done if the, if the corporate is much more mindful about how it makes a difference. If it's not just trying to do tick a box or corporate social responsibility, but if it's actually building volunteering into its, into its mission and its purpose. Yes. And you mentioned, Andrew, that um, social media, uh, in a way, has you know t- taken us away from our community. But a lot of people who engage with it think that that is their community. Uh, how do you f- feel that it's it's contributed to this lack of connectedness, smartphones, and online life? Well, I do I do worry about uh, some of the trends that we've seen. So, if you just look at the uh, the period uh, since two thousand and five, you've seen. The rise of smartphones, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, and over that period, you've seen quite a considerable worsening of uh, mental health of young people that we talked about before. And that's been particularly acute for young women. Uh, and uh, there's there's an increasing body of evidence that's suggesting that uh, that that might not be a coincidence. That those two things might be quite closely related. Uh, the uh, problem of uh, of addiction to smartphones is uh, is real, and I've certainly experienced it in my own life and the inability to uh, to, to stop uh, checking a smartphone when you really should be present for the person in front of you um, where um, you know these these machines can operate a little bit like uh, uh, slot slot machines or the po- uh, po- poker machines mm. uh, and uh, and provide and provide us with little uh, sort of dopamine hits uh, in a way that can be pretty destructive to our personal relationships 
uh, and uh, the, uh, the the barrage of email that we find ourselves fighting uh, means that you know the, the effective job title for so many professionals is uh, uh, email answerer uh, rather than uh, rather than anything more substantial. Uh, so we do need to be more mindful about how we use devices, how we manage uh, our own kids' use of devices, uh, if we're going to ensure that, uh, that we, we cyber connect, if we can get the best out of the technology rather than allow the technology to uh, displace the best of life. Mm. I mean, it's easy to say, but but how do you do that? How do you, you know, engage with um, your your um, iPhone or your smartphone in a way that connects you to these beneficial organisations, but keeps you clear of the ones that can damage you? Uh, I think there's some straight, straightforward uh, tricks. So uh, the more email you send, the more email you're likely, likely to receive. Uh, the more uh, apps you have on your phone and the more notifications, the, the more likely you're going to get distracted. Now, multitasking is a myth, so if you think you can uh, constantly check email without being distracted, then uh, that's probably uh, probably a mistake. Uh, and uh, and re- recognising also that uh, if you you can occasionally take uh, breaks from the technology, and that can be really beneficial. Uh, so there's an experiment that pays people to stay off Facebook for uh, for a month, and pretty much everyone comes back uh, feeling uh, less stressed, having slept better. And feeling more personally connected to those those around them. Uh, so you know, there's that's some of the tips. And mm. then also, as as parents, uh, recognising that uh, that we want to uh, set rules around uh, around device use that allow kids to use them to connect, but don't displace face to face interactions. Uh, I'm I'm an admirer of schools that uh, ask kids to put smartphones away, just as I'm an admirer of restaurants who ask people to uh, put their phones away. Uh, there's a, a lovely restaurant in New York, which apparently has little wooden boxes on yes. the table, just invite, inviting people to put their phones inside and uh, uh, enjoy the meal. Mm. Uh, so another straightforward way to do it is yeah, if you're out to dinner with a friend, put both smartphones on the table. First person to touch their phone pays the bill. <laughs> That's a good one, Andrew. Uh, another thing you mentioned in your book is about sport. It's an area where we're also participating less. And when we do exercise, we are doing solitary style exercising like hiking. You say the key to turning around engagement in sport is to use something called Sutton's Law of Social capital. What is Sutton's law and how can that be applied? So Willie Sutton was a bank robber who, when asked why he robbed banks, said, uh, well, that's where the money is. Uh, <laughs> Nick Terrell and I think that uh, uh, we can apply a similar principle to uh, community building. Uh, if you want to be a community builder, you should uh, build community where the need is strongest. So some of the uh, uh, social capitalists we most admire are those who reach out to underserved communities. Uh, we talk about some of the local sporting programs in uh, relatively disadvantaged parts of Canberra, uh, which are reaching out to new migrants and providing them uh, with sporting opportunities for their kids uh, that not only keep the kids fit, but also help plug them into the, the local community. Uh, soccer has been uh, a real leader in this and, uh, and done a lot in order to uh, connect underserved communities. Uh, but we need to realise that those team sports are, are the ones that are really struggling. If you look at the growth sports in Australia and era, there are uh, things like walking and, and going to the gym. Uh, but there's been a real collapse in uh, sports like uh, golf or cricket or rugby, 
uh, even bowling is uh, is down substantially, uh, um, as, uh, as Putnam's bowling alone title uh, would uh, would suggest. Mm. Uh, so there's a lot more we can do in order to uh, get the value out of sport uh, of uh, of egalitarian connection. Now, Andrew, you uh, mentioned before that uh, the particularly difficult areas attracting young people to connect more uh, with um, communities and, and volunteering, and you mentioned a, a few. What are some other organisations you came across that were particularly good with getting young people involved? Uh, so I, I really uh, admire uh, many of the uh, the sporting organisations. I think they've been uh, an important connector, uh, and uh, and also some of the organisations in the environmental space. Uh, so there's been uh, great uh, initiatives in terms of providing local leadership through uh, environmental organisations. Uh, that encourages young people not only to make a difference in their local local community, uh, but also to build connections with those around them. And I think that's that's sort of an important way of of approaching change in general. I worry too much, Indira, that uh, the way in which people approach sports uh, approach um, uh, politics now has become a little bit like we approach cheering for our favourite sporting team. You know, we uh, we cheer for our side and we throw insults at the other side, uh, and a lot of it is done on Twitter and and uh, on some of those online platforms. Uh, but that's taking the place of real grassroots connections. Uh, it's not about making a difference. It's not about having a conversation and trying to change someone's mind. Uh, an American scholar, Etan Hirsch, calls it political hobbyism. Uh, and mm. he says it's, a, it's immensely corrosive if uh, we approach uh, politics in the same way as we approach uh, uh, approach cheering or jeering for our favourite sporting teams. Uh, you know, we're not spectators in, po- in politics. We ought to be on the field. So one of the, some of the initiatives that I really admire are some of the grassroots union organising ones, which are trying to get young people uh, involved on issues of wage theft or uh, discrimination in the workplace, uh, trying to give them a voice and a role uh, and recognising that, uh, that those uh, modest grassroots campaigns can really teach people that they're, they're participants in, uh, in, in politics. They're not just bystanders. Mm. And Andrew, as you mentioned, um, it's getting more and more difficult to get people to fill in surveys, um, government surveys that have been sent around. And of course, the deep distrust in the political system in politicians is, is getting worse. How do we, it's a very big question, but how do we rebuild that trust in politicians? Uh, it's partly something that we need to do, Indira. I think as a Member of Parliament, I take that, that responsibility very seriously. And uh, it's part of the reason I'm trying a range of new things. From uh, I've got a couple of podcasts. I'm on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and, and trying to connect with people. We've done telephone town halls recently. We've just done a deliberative democracy exercise uh, and uh, regularly holding the, the standard sort of town hall meetings and uh, street corner meetings. Uh, but it's also about uh, encouraging people to, to make a difference in their own lives, uh, whether that's uh, saving a local park or whether it's uh, getting a, going along to a council meeting. It is sort of amazing if you go along to a local council meeting to realise uh, what a small share of the population is there and, and how you can actually make quite a big difference by being at, the, being at those meetings. Now, it's that old Woody Allen line that 80% of life is, is just showing up. Uh, and just being there in uh, in political uh, environments, whether it's going along to to chat to a politician or to be at a political meeting, 
uh, can can really make a difference to your community and also make a difference to to your sense that uh, that you're part of the, uh, the the grand grand process of. Uh, uh, making the rules that help us live live better together. Wendy from Reservoir would like to talk about her organisation. Good evening, Wendy. Good evening. How are you? Very good. Very well, thank you. Oh, well, actually, I'm not one of the young ones, but I'm a part of a group that's um, called the Friends of Darabin Creek. Darabin is a municipality in Melbourne, mm-hmm. um, in a suburb, so it takes in places like Northcote and um, Preston and those areas. And there's the creek, uh, which is part of the boundary, and I've been a member of um, that organisation for about 17 years now when I first moved to the area. Um, but I noticed in the last probably five years or so that the um, a lot more younger people are becoming involved. And I think part of that is it's probably the social demographics in the area are changing. Um, also, people can um, you know um, uh, look at what the activities are. Like we do things like plantings of seedlings of uh, shrubs and trees. Uh, we do weeding of exotic weeds as opposed to um, you know to protect the native plantings. Um, bird surveys and native uh, fauna surveys and um, wildflower watching. So a range of activities mm. and um, and I think just yeah the area is becoming perhaps more affordable or the people, the younger uh, couples perhaps are moving further out and um, settling in this area and bringing along um, their, their young children to become involved or there's young couples in their 20s and 30s are becoming involved as well and wanting to learn more about their neighbourhood. So mm. that's been really good. And Apart what, from this, of course, we can't do anything because it's Melbourne. Yes, of course, at the moment. <laughs> Hopefully very soon, Wendy. Tell me what you enjoy about um, being part of this Friends of the Darabin Creek. Well, actually, I live quite close to the creek and I walk along there most days um, and I can see the difference just uh, that um, that we can make just by um, or getting rid of just the standard weeds everywhere and, and identifying, learning about native grasses and um, uh, shrubs and trees, learning more about them and uh, which birds. And I've learned a lot just from being a member of, of the group um, that the little birds like to hide in the shrubs right along the edge of the creek, whereas the bigger birds like to be up a bit higher so mm. they can spot the little birds <laughs> and uh, catch them or whatever they're going to do. But the little birds like to hide in the shrubs. So, yeah, just, just somehow, I guess the ecosystem um, that's in my neighbourhood functions. I mean, I'm in my 60s now and I did learn about that, I think, when I was at school, but you get absorbed in your careers and whatever. Um, and then it was only when I, well, I've had some health problems, so I'm not working, um, and actually found just... Um, Walking on the creek every day with my dog has really helped a lot with my my health, mm. and you know, particularly in dealing with things like um, stress, anxiety, depression. Yeah. And uh, yes, yeah, so it's a social occasion. So usually the activities are on a um, Sunday morning between ten and twelve. So it's a social occasion. You get to know, um, yeah, see familiar faces from um, other you know previous years, and then there's a whole lot of new people coming along and. Um, so it gets me out and about meeting yeah. people as well, and and um, it's educational. And you're out in nature in and in the, the good weather, so you're getting the serotonin and everything going. So yeah, sounds and, terrific, and then Wendy. You can, you can see the results of your work as well. Yeah, yeah, terrific. Wendy, thank you so much for your call, Wendy from Reservoir. And Andrew, uh, you know, making a difference, seeing the difference you made, the, the phrase Wendy used is key, isn't it? 
It certainly is. Uh, and uh, I love uh, Wendy's story about how there's generational change taking place there because it has been a big issue for some of the uh, land care groups and the community garden groups in particular. But those that are succeeding are those that are helping to build a tribe. Uh, that notion that, uh, that we're at our happiest, not when we're living the most cushy life, but when we're living a life in which we're feeling we're, we're making some sacrifices for something that's bigger than ourselves. And helping out and uh, looking after Darabin Creek, I think, can be uh, precisely that sort of uh, uh, activity, uh, something where you're giving up your own time in order to make your local environment better for everyone. Ashley from Abbotsfield is here. Ashley, how are you? Well, thanks. How are you? Very good. That's great. Um, My son and I have just come home. We're about to go have a shower and go to bed because we've been uh, at an ice hockey training session. Oh. Uh, and there's also a late night ice hockey game as well that my son played in as well. So we've got a quite unique community uh, here in New South Wales, Sydney, um, with our ice hockey group. And um, he plays for a local club as well. And but there's also a, a sort of um, a group that does uh, drop-in hockey and also team hockey games uh, that are open to different levels of uh, players' experience. And it's a great little community, um, something that everyone enjoys, gets along well with. And then the kids also have the opportunity to play in the uh, ice hockey New South Wales uh, competition as well. Yeah. And what does your son get out of it, Ashley? Uh, no, well, I can put him on right now. He's flying in the car trying <laughs> to have a sleep. But Finn, do you want to tell him what you get out of it? Um, well, I just love it and it's great to be on the ice and it feels really good every time I get on. And, um, yeah, just, I love it. It's just great. And, and it's a what, very unique sport yeah. as well. So he played AFL. He did uh, a bit of basketball, I think, at one stage and, and swimming. But such a unique sport and it's really fallen in love with it. And I think a lot of the kids that play it, especially yeah. at our club, which is a very new club, um, it, it, it is tough and it is hard because there's a lot of outlay of costs. But it's something unique and different that uh, they all love. Yeah, terrific. Thank you very much for your call, Ashley. Thanks for your time. Okay, bye-bye. There you go. There's some people getting out and getting involved in sport. Um, Andrew, it's good to hear. It certainly is. Uh, And it sounds like uh, Ashley's working his son hard there. Uh, (laughs) He's sleeping. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. No, it's always great to to hear about the stories. And I, I guess you... You don't want to be the uh, the, the sort of uh, party pooper on these things. So I was just pulling up some of the figures on uh, on sports. We got this amazing trove of data from Roy Morgan about sports participation over the last two decades. Mm. Um, I don't have ice hockey, but field hockey down forty one percent, and rollerblading, roller skating down seventy six percent over that period. Uh, so there's been a, a real drop in. In so many of these uh, these team sports, you know, whether it's uh, uh, ballroom dancing or sailing or squash or softball or baseball, um, there's still the, the wonderful adherence. And, the, you know, I get involved with those groups in my own electorate. Uh, but I see right across the board this uh, this drop-off in team sports and uh, systematic challenge for so many of the organisations because there's, there's just not enough Ashley's around. Mm. Well, Jenny from Eastwood is uh, trying to buck the trend. Jenny, how are you? Oh, hi, dear. Hi, Andrew. Yes. Well, look, I'm I'm in Sydney, and I'm in my late fifties. I, and having never been a sporty person, I was sort of um, talking to a friend who said, "Oh, you should try dragon boating," and I hopped in a boat with this wonderful club called Marist Woolwich, which is in 
lovely stretch of the Lane Cove River. And in fact, I've I've really enjoyed it, not just for the sport and the fitness and everything, but for the the sociability of it. There's something about all being a boat together, doing you know, <laughs> moving in unison, and trying to rocking, you know, yeah. and rocking back and forth. But it's very interesting because it's dragon boating is one of those sports that you can do from 11 up really and there's no upper age limit there are people well into their 60s and you know I think even into their 80s that compete in other clubs particularly and um, and it's interesting because you get young people you know so sometimes kids who are still at school who'll be instructing you know old gits like me in the boat <laughs> and telling us how to do it and it's it's a very nice sort of it's a very nice group because it's unusual for people of you know of such diverse ages to be actually participating in the sport together. You know that you can be in a boat with a thirteen-year-old and a you know a thirty-year-old and a forty-year-old and a fifty-year-old and a sixty-year-old and a sixty-five-year-old, and they're all and everyone's working for the same aim. And it's actually you know, and of course, there's not just the stuff in the boat, but the stuff out of the boat, and um, and it's I think it's actually very good. For very good for everyone's, you know, mental health and just the realisation that young people can be extremely competent and extremely nice and and that they realise that old people aren't all, you know, boring old gits. I think it's actually <laughs> good for a sociable, <laughs> from a social point of view too. Yeah. It's actually a really good sport. Actually. Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jenny. Thanks for the call. Thank you. Thanks okay. for the call. Thanks. Uh, there you go, Andrew. Um, again, uh, from your figures, it's it's a rarity, but uh, Jenny's had a very positive experience from dragon boating. Absolutely. And uh, I was thinking that uh, rowing is sort of a great metaphor for what we're trying to achieve here. You know, we've all got to work together to achieve a goal. Oh, which uh, we, we can't quite look at it uh, as we go, but we uh, we know it's there just over our shoulder. Mm. Uh, and uh, and it's great to uh, to have people involved in those activities. I'm a I'm a runner, and so love uh, getting involved in the in, in the local sporting activities, and and just that sense of sort of freshness, of egalitarianism, stretching your body when you're uh, when you're you're out there with a larger group. Um, now I think that the more of us do that, the better. Uh, uh, but you look at expanding waistlines and uh, uh, the fact that uh, young Australians now can't jump as far as they used to be able to, uh, real clear markers that uh, that we're not, uh, as a community, engaging as much as we uh, we could be. But so many great sporting groups out there to join if you uh, if you care to look. Mm. And, they're, and they're all listed in your book, um, Reconnector, so uh, for when uh, people pick it up and take a read. Andrew, do you think this year... It will be a seminal year for, for a change of the way we look at, at connection. Do you think that we, we could start, it could be a turning point for putting our sense of community back together? It could be, but it won't necessarily. So the two examples I think about, Indira, are the uh, experience of World War Two and September 11. After World War Two, there is a lasting change in civic connectedness uh, right across uh, uh, the advanced world. After September 11, there is a, a temporary surge in civic, civic solidarity in America, uh, but then it very quickly drops off and goes back to where it was. And so the challenge is to uh, take that, that temporary surge in solidarity that we've seen this year uh, and turn it into something lasting uh, that really reverses the, uh, the significant trends that we've seen, uh, allows us to, uh, to engage in cyber connecting and using technology productively, Sutton's law of social capital and uh, reaching out to underserved communities, uh, something Nick Terrell and I call double plus good social capital, which is where you're trying to do two positive things at the same time, like those singles tree planting events. 
we can be really creative about this and uh, the prize is, uh, is, is a better connected society, uh, a more egalitarian society and a happier society at the same time. Mm, which is what we all want, Andrew. Thank you so much for uh, chatting to us about your book, Reconnected Tonight on Nightlife. Thanks, India, and thanks for all that you do to build community as well. I think it's uh, it's enormously important, the role that, uh, that you play and that the ABC plays in uh, strengthening civic society. Yeah, it's and it's just so rewarding. And it's good fun as well. It's joyous. I think that that's the thing yeah. often people, you know, forget that um, you get so much more than, than you give when you do it. So, yes. So thank you, yes. Andrew. Uh, Federal politician Dr Andrew Lee speaking about the book he's written with his advisor Nick Terrell called Reconnected and it contains lots of great tips about how we can build community and make some good friends at the same time. You've been listening to a Nightlife podcast. For more great conversations about the issues that impact you, as well as features on travel and food, head to the Nightlife webpage. You'll find it at abc.net.au slash nightlife. You don't need to be a night owl to enjoy the nightlife.